Good morning, my beautiful friends. Welcome to Escape from Crazy Town. Let me see if I can get this camera straightened out. Oh, hopefully it doesn't flip on me. The stand is very rickety. So, hey, you guys. Welcome, welcome to Happy Crappy Hour. This is where we are going to share our experiences and and learn from each other all the different things that have happened in our lives, right? Especially with the narcissistic relationships. So today's topic is what happens to you after a narcissistic relationship? And I want to start with it depends on it depends on what kind of relationship it was. If it was a parental relationship and you get out from that, the first thing that happens to you is relief. It is absolute relief. Oh, hey, Obi, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, glad you made it today. So, you know, um, if you come out from a relationship with your parents and you were raised by narcissistic parents or you were, uh, you had narcissistic siblings who finally leave the house, right? They may have left first or maybe you leave first. But um, either way, you get this sense of relief and a freedom that comes over you, a freedom that makes you feel like uh, this is a brand new life that you're entering and you have no bars and you're not in this prison anymore. So it's absolute relief. It's so good. It feels like you have a brand new life. Now, what happens there, though, is that you enter this brand new life. You're a brand new person. You have you have like the best beginning ever. And then reality sets in. And then you realize what are your coping mechanisms? What are your survival mechanisms? They've been stunted through the years of a narcissistic abusive relationship. And you realize that, you know, at first when you leave that relationship, you feel like, you're powerful and you feel like you can do anything and this great self-esteem comes over you because your self-esteem has been suppressed for so long and it's been oppressed it's been damaged and then now for the first time you you feel like you're you know you know who you are you're you're happy with yourself you're happy with your situation it's like the sun is brighter the air is cleaner right the the flowers smell better and that lasts for a period of time until you realize your survival and coping mechanisms are not there. They're not developed to the point where you can you can actually be a happy and and self-reliant and and fulfilled person. This is when things start to disintegrate and then you feel like you have to try to find a way to survive and then you start to build your mechanisms okay that's one way one area of a narcissistic relationship um, the kind of re relationship that makes you go through the this period of growth and maturity that comes along and may take you years because uh, the psychologists have said and have found that trauma that happens to a person what occurs in that moment of trauma and if you are raised by you know you go through lots of trauma if you were raised in a narcissistic family what happens is your emotional maturity is stunted at that stage when it was 
most damaged or when the first trauma happened or maybe when you realized it was trauma so say a person something happens to them at a period you know at 10 years old they lose a parent or something like that to death and they'll get stunted at 10 years old so even when they're in their 30s and 40s their emotional maturity may have stunted at 10 years old unless they've had help to grow through that time and the way that happens is if you have people in your life that help you grow all right you guys i'm gonna try to restart something here and see if i can get to your comments uh yes yes right Here's your mom oh my goodness Oh, wow. Yeah, Obi, I'm just reading the comments here. Exactly. Yeah, you want to get out of these toxic relationships as soon as possible. And it's true. Once you are able to leave, you know, that relationship with your parents, sadly for Obi, what's happening is his parents are helping the narcissist and the problem with the narcissist is that they are so convincing to those they have not damaged. So you continue to live out this, this abuse from your own family because they believe the narcissist instead, right? And especially if narcissist, two narcissists get together, it's sort of like they speak their own language, right? They have their own language and they, they're drawn to each other. They, they know how to play one another. And they know how to stroke each other's egos. So, so they love that. They, they cling to one another. But that is what happens to you when you come out of a relationship, a narcissistic relationship with a parent, a relative, you know, siblings, something like that. Or even a friendship. Friendship is the middle ground narcissistic relationship. And I'll explain this. So the first relationship I wanted to talk about was the parent or um, or family narcissistic relationship the second one the middle ground one is the friendship one when you come out of a narcissistic friendship you might feel relief but you're more likely to feel loss right you're more likely to feel guilt or shame or some sense of loss you go through that whole grieving process possibly with losing a friend once you realize that this friend has been a narcissistic toxic person in your life the entire time and but you'll look back and you'll remember some of the good times and you'll start to think that this is a loss and that you'll miss and you start to miss the times you spent with that friend doing the things that you both enjoyed right you may this may have been a friend that helped you in your times of loneliness through other relationships and now you feel like there's a loss because now who do you go to when you realize this friend stabbed you in the back and was toxic and turns out to be a uh, what do you call that an introverted narcissist where you didn't realize a covert narcissist you didn't realize that this person had been jealous of you and had been undermining you had been talking behind your back the entire time they were quote unquote helping you. So you're going to feel somewhat of a loss and you may go through the whole, all the stages of grief with that person. 
Now, the third relationship, when you come out of a narcissistic relationship, that is the romantic one. That one, I think, is comparable to the family one as far as recovery. It can take you years to recover from the romantic one. Now, the family narcissistic relationship takes years to form, right? Years of, of trauma, years of abuse, years of being hurt uh, before you realize this is not normal. This is not a healthy relationship. And then once you realize the, the family relationship is not a healthy one, you start to compare to what is healthy. You start to have regret. You start to feel angry that you grew up that way. Now, in a romantic relationship, you may not take years to go through that abuse or to cause years of trauma, right? Years of recovery. The romantic relationship could, could last a few weeks. It could last a few months and you will be traumatized for years after that because the romantic one is one that you pour all of your trust into and usually at a stage where you're supposedly more mature right you're an adult now you're pouring your your hopes and dreams and cares and loves into this person and you trust this person implicitly right and completely and then they damage you, they, they leave or, or they discard you or you end up having to leave because it gets so toxic, you cannot survive in it. You're going to go through the worst, I think, when you go through the romantic one because it takes so much to unravel. It unravels you completely to the point where you don't have a footing. It's beyond the kind of pain you thought you would have with a with a family narcissistic relationship because the family narcissistic relationship you don't have to stay with them like you you don't have to marry them you don't have to build a life with them that relationship can end and be done the romantic one you plan on living the rest of your life with them i mean maybe 40 50 years with them right the family one lasts until you become an adult. And now as an adult, you have power, you have the ability to be on your own feet and move forward. From a romantic relationship, you were already on your feet and now you're being completely knocked down. You're being destroyed. You're being brought back down to the ground. You're, you're a building that's been raised, right? R-A-Z-E-D. You're, you're going to be demolished. And when you're demolished, you feel like, how can I build back up again? How can I get back on my feet? How can I regain where I was? And it's going to take time to get there. Because what you thought you believed was true is completely false. And that, I think, is very similar to the one where you, well, both relationships, the other two as well, where you were in a relationship with your family in a narcissistic abuse one and then or with a friend who is a narcissist and you find out later that they have been stabbing you in the back for years you just didn't realize it and then the third one is the romantic relationship where you you think 
they all three are very similar in the way you grieve and recover afterwards, but they are also different. You have different stages that you go through in each one of those. And I think that we want to focus probably on the romantic one because that's the one that takes the longest to recover from. And I was going through, uh, I was going through the stages of grief, you know, just re-examining them. And it is exactly the same that you go through when you go through recovery after narcissistic abuse. Once you escape or once you are discarded, either way, <clears throat> you're going to go through this five or seven stages of grief. And I want to go through this with you. It used to be five stages of grief, and now people have supplemented to seven stages. And then I saw a site that had 12 stages. And I think what it what they're really doing is they're parsing the one stage into multiple stages. And so they just expand it to more detail, I guess, and then give it its own stage um, and own name. The first stage that you're going to go through, though, when, you, when you're going through this separation from the narcissist, whether it's a family, a friend, or a uh, lover, is, I think, a little bit different. So the first stage, if you're going through the family uh, separation, is going to be relief. It's going to be excitement, actually. It's going to be like, what? I, I escaped, you know? It's like a, a prisoner who just had his doors opened and he's able to leave. I mean, you might be in shock a little bit, right? Like, am I really out? Do I not have to respond to this? You kind of go through a little shell shock because the the hold that your family had on you, the restraints that they had on you, the rules that they set on you, which were constantly changing, you could never satisfy them. You know, you're not going to be walking on eggshells anymore. You suddenly realize I'm not you know, you, you go through a PTSD type of thing where you think at any moment you're going to be locked down again, but you're not. So that's why there's this incredible relief when you realize, oh, my gosh, I don't have to do all these things that my family required of me. And then I don't have to suffer the yelling and screaming and the uh, battery that came from the parents and maybe even from the siblings. Right? You don't have to go through the bullying anymore at, at a moment's notice. You know, you're happy one moment and then the bully in your family comes down on you because they hate to see that you're happy. You're not going to have to deal with that anymore. So it's a relief that you're going to get. That's the first stage when you come out of a family one. But if you're coming out of a romantic relationship or even from a friendship that had been there for years, you're going to go through a disbelief and shock. It's a, a denial, right? It's the first stage. You're not going to believe like that this had happened to you. You're not going to understand how you ended out on the outside of a once friendly, maybe romantic, maybe very secure relationship where you had uh, security around you, whether it's financial or emotional security, right? Somebody to come home to. Now you come home and there's nobody there. Or now when you have problems, you can't call up that friend and ask for advice or sympathy because they're not that person. 
And actually, when you start to look back, you realize that friend never really was that sympathetic, never really was that great. It was all fake. And you're going to go through this denial stage. Like, how could it have been fake? How, how is it possible that I was fooled all this time? And I think this is comparable to what's happening in our world right now. Because if you're paying attention to the mainstream media, when you wake up to the fact that they have been lying to you all this time, you're going to go through this denial. Like, how, how is this possible? So my favorite hosts of my favorite shows or newscasts or news shows or even talk shows or even movies, actors coming out. You're like, wait a minute. This person that I thought was so amazing that I wanted to imitate this person in my life. I, I looked up to this person. I respected this person. Now suddenly you realize they've been lying to you. They've been owned. They were just puppets of somebody else. Or maybe they're the nefarious ones. They're the ones who wanted to spread the lies and confuse or manipulate you. Holy cow, you guys. You need to watch videos on mass manipulation because you're going to recognize what you went through with the narcissist is what you're going to be going through in the, in the bigger picture with the world. It's like coming out of the Matrix, you know, if you've ever watched that movie. I have friends who never watched that movie. I'm like, how is this possible? But when you first wake up from a Matrix, it's very much like you're waking up from the abandonment of a narcissistic relationship. You're going to be in this disbelief. You're going to be walking around as if this is not the real world, right? This this is not the world I've been living in in the last several months or several years. This this doesn't feel real to me. So you think like the reality is the fake life and you want to go back to the narcissist where where life seemed simpler, where, where there were answers and you, things were predictable to a certain extent, right? You want to go back to that. You're going to go through this shocking disbelief. You're going to go through this stage of denial. So... I like, I like what it was written in this site. It says, our reality has shifted completely in this moment of loss. It can take our minds some time to adjust to this new reality. We are reflecting on the experiences we have shared with the person we lost. And we might find ourselves wondering how to move forward in life without this person. And it goes to say the same thing happens when you realize you've been lied to with history. Like I think people on both sides of the spectrum or all sides of the spectrum can admit that the history we have been fed has not been exactly the correct or 100% history, right? I think, you know, no matter what side you are on politically conservative or liberal or whatever you want to call yourself, uh, or even around the world, if you're French versus German or British versus American, right? You're going to realize and have to admit that history has not been presented very accurately, right? It's been presented to you to to give to, to make a certain group look like the heroes and the other group, your enemies, look like the horrible bad people. And like French and Germans, right? I'll go through that history where the French will look at the Germans and think that the Germans were always the bad guys and horrible people. And the Germans will look at the French in their history books as the bad guys, the weak ones, the 
whatever, you know, the enemy, the evil ones. And both of them, both countries teach their people to hate the other side and to look down on the, and, and disrespect the other side. But if you take a French person and you raise them in German schools, they're going to learn, they're going to see, wow, the history books here look completely different than the ones in France. And if you take a German person, you put them in a French school, and they're going to see that the history books in France look completely different than the history books in Germany. Well, you guys, that's what, that's reality. And, and that makes sense, right? And, and in America too, our history books look completely different than the history books in in Great Britain. They're not going to make, you know, in, in the UK, they're not going to make the U, United States look like this altruistic, you know, city on a hill, amazing, wonderful, uh, what do you call it? image to to reflect to the rest of the world like everybody should try to become what the united states that's not what the british are teaching in their schools and then in our schools in america we're not going to teach like the british were the most amazing most wonderful and some of our history books kind of do put that little bit of a face on great britain but then we put on like all these kings were evil, all these kings were horrible, they were oppressive, this is what they did to the United States, this is what. So we're going to see the opposite pretty much, depending on which side we're on. So from Great Britain, they're going to play up their kings and, and show like they were amazing, they were wonderful, they, they were flawless. And in America, all of our presidents were amazing, they were wonderful, they were flawless. Do you see? So when you're in a narcissistic relationship, this is what you're coming out of, where you've been trained and you've been believing for years and in romantic relationships, maybe even just months, but it's overtaken your mind that the person that you love was this amazing, wonderful, perfect person. And then you realize when it starts to show, their mask starts to slip, that they're not an amazing, wonderful person. You start to go through this disbelief and shock, right? You go through this time where you can't, and especially once it's been severed, once the relationship has ended, once you have been discarded, you're going to go through this disbelief and shock as if you've been thrown outside of the matrix now. And you have a new reality and you're not sure which reality is true, right? Which life was the real life, the life with the narcissist or your life now without the narcissist. You're going to go through this stage. Now, one of the, I want to go through a few different, you know, differences people have in, in describing the stages of grief. Uh, the second stage for some people is guilt and pain, right? They go through this guilt and pain where let me see the person starts to feel the full realization of the loss right their numbness leads the way to extreme emotional pain and suffering i think we go through this a lot with the romantic relationship especially the guilt um, you may go through some of it in the, in the parental one if you go through a death death but i don't think you feel guilt when you leave a narcissistic parent, right? You may feel guilt if you leave a narcissistic lover. 
because you're going to feel like, did I make the right choice? Did I do the right thing? Was it my fault? You know, were they right? Because they said all these things that how I was at fault for everything going wrong in our relationship. You're going to go through this guilt and pain. Now, you may also feel remorse because you think I should have, could have done things differently. Now, you may feel that with both kinds of relationships, right? The parental one and the romantic one. You may feel remorse that you didn't do the things that you should have done while you were in the relationship. But with the romantic one, you might feel like, well, you're going to realize, well, actually, in both of them, the romantic and the parental one, you're going to realize that, no, wait a minute, they treated me very badly. They were the ones that had choices to make as well. And you, you're going to have to sort that out, this guilt and this pain once it ends. Now, the next stage that you may go through is this bargaining stage. And I think that especially not so much with the parental one, right? You don't bargain. You don't go back and say, okay, I'm going to do this differently and maybe um, my parent will take me back. No, you're, you're just happy to be out of there. You're going to try to get the heck out and stay away as far as you can from the parent. Uh, who was abusive, but the romantic one, you are going to go through a bargaining phase. You're going to think, well, if I just do something differently, if I promise something else, if I show up at places that my ex, you know, likes to go to, maybe they'll take me back. Maybe they'll miss me. Maybe they'll, they'll, um, take me, you know, take me back. Maybe they'll want me back. And you start to think like, if I do something for them. Maybe they'll give, you know, I'll promise, I'll buy them something, you know, I'll promise to do things for them. And you're hoping that if you make these promises, they'll take you back because you just want to get back into what was comfortable, what was known, what felt good. You weren't by yourself at that time, right? So, yeah. In the, in the description, the psychological books and articles, they'll talk about this is the time when you, you're wrestling with God, right? You're making promises to God. But in the narcissistic romantic relationship, what you end up doing is making promises to the narcissist. You start to bargain with the narcissist because you're hoping that if you do all these things and you promise all these things and you even... Um, try to sway them with gifts that they'll take you back and that things can go back to the way they used to be. But that doesn't happen, does it, right? They might take you back for a day. They might take you back for a night, right? Just a quickie. And then you're back out again. So this is when you enter the next stage. Let me see what's going on here. Yes, Obi says, everything you're saying I've learned in my counseling courses I've taken. Yep. Yep, exactly, Obi. But we go through this, not just when we lose someone to death. We, we go through this when we lose someone in a relationship, right? When they're no longer a part of our lives. So, hold on, you guys. I got to get a drink of my coffee, which is getting cool here. Mm. All right. So the next stage that you may enter is anger, right? Once you realize the, the narcissist is not taking you back, 
this is really final. There's no way you can even go back. So if you are the one who left the narcissist, you're still going to go through anger because you're going to feel like, what did this person do to me? And I didn't deserve that. And what are they still doing right now? They're trying to flaunt their, their new supply now at me. They're, they're trying to act as if I'm the one who was horrible and they're spreading rumors and gossip about you to other people in your community, in your circles of influence, right? Circles that you shared with the narcissist. So you're gonna go through this anger where you're gonna start lashing out at the people around you, but most particularly the narcissist. You're gonna be so angry at the narcissist. And this I think is even more prevalent in the relationship with the parents. You're going to be so angry that they raised you the way they did because they did not have to raise you that way. You're going to be, um, you're going to blame them for a lot of things that are going wrong now in your life. And I think some people get stuck there in that anger phase uh, when they come out of the narcissistic parent or childhood that they didn't think was perfect, right? May not even have been a narcissistic parent, might be really spoiled people who grew up and didn't get their way all the time, but now they're angry and they blame their parents, especially for the times the parents messed up because nobody is perfect, by the way. Parents are going to mess up. It depends on the child to forgive the parents and move on. So that's why we go through these stages of grief. If you do not get through all these stages of grief, you're going to get stuck at anger. You're going to become a victim most of your life if you cannot get past the anger because you're going to continue to blame people. You're gonna continue, if you continue to blame people, guess what? You continue to be a victim. You're not gonna be able to get out of victim mode. And victims cannot be, how do I, I mean, I was gonna say powerful, and they can be powerfully damaging, but victims, people who live in a victim mentality do not become the most successful, right? They, they are not the happy people. They're not the ones who can move on and allow, um, what do you call, offenses to slide off their back, right? They're just offended by everything. And this anger is what causes it, the anger from their past, the anger from other relationships, the anger of how they were treated. They just cannot let go, cannot forgive, cannot cannot close the door on that because they they feel like they need revenge. They feel like they need the other person to suffer. But here's the deal. Even if the other person suffers, it doesn't change the anger. It just doesn't. It doesn't change the victim mentality. It doesn't change your situation. It doesn't change what decisions you're going to make in moving forward. And the reason I say that is, you know, after hearing interviews with people who have had loved ones, um, murdered or uh, something, you know, damaging horribly, you know, became a, a victim of violence from another person. When that person is sent, you know, is given the death sentence, right? And once that person meets, you know, is done, you know, is executed, the the people who had the loss, the family member who, who was murdered, it's not like they get any relief. Like nobody has ever said that they felt relieved. Well, they might feel relieved in that, you know, the streets are safer now that that person's gone, but the anger that they feel at the loss of their loved one doesn't 
go down. It doesn't go away. So this grief, it stays with you if you hold on to anger and you have to get past this anger. So in order to do that, you have to let the stages of grief go through. You need to go through the stages of grief. Now, the next thing that you do, some, let's see, some people say that bargaining comes after anger, you know, um, and some believe that anger comes near the end. I think, you know, depending on your relationship, sometimes anger comes first. Like with the parental one, <laughs> anger comes first. With the, uh, with the romantic relationship, anger may come a little bit later after the bargaining and the pain, right? Now, the next stage, the second to last stage is depression. Once you realize that you're powerless, like this anger is there, but you cannot stop it. You can't change it. You can't undo what was done, right? You cannot make a decision for the narcissist to take you back. You cannot recuperate the marriage. You cannot go back into uh, the life you used to have, the home you used to have with the narcissist, the lifestyle you used to have, the, the times that you spent together, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, the good times, the personal times, where you, you cannot get that back, no matter how angry you get, right? And some people feel like their anger will force the other person to come back into their relationship. That is psychotic, you guys. That is absolutely psychotic. Do not become like that. Then you become the narcissist. You become the controlling tyrant in the relationship. But those who get past the anger and realize that no matter how angry you get, you cannot control the other person. You cannot change uh, the trajectory that you are on. You cannot take back now that relationship. You can't go back to it. It's, it's done, right? The door is closed. Once you realize that, then you move on to depression and you feel really down. And I think maybe some people hold on to anger because they don't want to feel the depression. The depression is scary, right? The depression is defeatist. It makes you feel, it makes you feel helpless and hopeless. And you don't want to enter that stage because you want to believe that you have control. You want to believe that you're strong. You want to believe that Nobody else can, can affect you. You are the one who determines where you go and what you do and how you turn out. And all of that is still true. You don't need to hold on to anger. You can go through depression. And by the way, when you go through depression, you still are in charge of your life. You still have the power over yourself. You still can, can get yourself away and from the control of the narcissist so don't be afraid to go into depression i think some people are afraid to go through this depression because they think they may never come out of it and they'd rather live in this angry stage rather than the depression stage so here's the deal the anger stage will ruin your entire life will destroy you from here until you die and you do not want that if you hold on to anger, you will be like one of those people who, you know, you've met, you've seen them, you've interacted with them. They're old and they're bitter. And when you get together with them, all they can talk about is what happened 50 years ago, right? They hold on to grudges and anger and things that happened years ago. 
And you can see the anger continuing to rise up in them every time they talk about the, the people who did them wrong decades ago. The depression helps you get through that. And the reason why depression helps you get through that is when you realize there are some things out of your control, such as other people. Other people are out of your control, right? What they do is out of your control. What they say about you is out of your control. You cannot make them say good things to you. You cannot make them stop gossiping, gossiping about you. You cannot make them move on. You cannot stop them from moving on with their life. So you go through this depression recognizing that there are things that you are not in control of. And it's okay. Here's the deal. It's okay to identify that. In fact, it is really good for you. It's sad and it feels horrible once you realize there are so many things you do not control. But it's also freeing. And why I tell you it's freeing is because once you realize there are things you cannot control, now you can let those things go. You know, there, there's a saying out there that says, change the things that, um, oh, I forget how it goes exactly, and I should look it, into it. And maybe if you're listening and you know what these things are, go ahead and write it down. But it's sort of like, you know, change the things that you are in control of. Let go of the things you are not in control of, right? And then you're going to be able to make better decisions for yourself. And in your life, you're, you're not going to be able to make good decisions in your life if you're still trying to control the things you cannot control. Like say the weather, right? If you're cursing the weather because it rained on your wedding, you know, or, or that a storm is coming on your vacation and you're out there, I'll give you an example. I was um, actually went to Hawaii. This was years ago and uh, for a week. So we had a week vacation in Hawaii and we're so excited. We get out there and guess what? I think the first day we got there, it was sunny, but we're exhausted because of the travel, right? The time difference and everything. So we did not get to go out and enjoy that sunny day. We thought that every day, you know, we'll, we'll get to enjoy the next day. Well, for the next six days, the forecast was this giant cloud that enveloped Hawaii, all of Hawaii, all the islands. It was like, it covered almost the entire Pacific ocean, you know, around the islands. It was not going to move for six days. Or as it moves, it was just so big that the islands were not, were going to continue to be under this cloud. So it rained for the next six days of our vacation. Um, I was pretty upset, you know, I was much younger then. And I was pretty upset at the weather. I was, you know, I was angry at something I couldn't control. I was angry at this weather being bad for pretty much our entire vacation out there. You know, we spent a lot of money to get out there and here we are, we can't go to this, you know, we can't get a suntan, right? And you can't, you can't go lay out on the beach because what are you gonna, you lie out there in the rain. But here's the deal, on my way to the airport, I mean, we did what we could, but I gotta say, I remember being miserable more than I remember being happy on that vacation, which is, which is a shame. And I look back now and I am learning from that. So you guys learn from your mistakes, learn from the times you were bitter and angry and choose not to be that way anymore. So now I choose not to be that way. On our way to the airport, we're in the airport shuttle from the hotel. I see, you know, I see this, um, actually we're in the shuttle with this guy and this other, and his, uh, his wife or girlfriend, I don't know at the time. 
And he was talk. He was all happy. He got to spend time with his girlfriend or or wife. I'm not sure. While he was there, so he was on cloud nine. It didn't matter that the whole time he was there, it was cloudy, right? He had a great time with his woman, and not only that, he was talking about how they went to the beach anyway, despite the rain. I mean, it wasn't torrential, so there were days where it was just cloudy and drizzly, and he went to the beach during those times. He didn't let the drizzle stop him from enjoying the waves. I mean, you couldn't go snorkeling and see a whole lot because the water was cloudy and it was dark, so you couldn't see the the water as clearly as on a sunny day. But he went in anyway. He enjoyed it. He splashed around. And his girlfriend or wife, I assume she went with him. You know, I don't know. She was pretty quiet through the whole ride and just, you know, hanging out. But he was just talking to us about how, what a great vacation he had. And then, you know, it occurred to me, and sadly, at the end, it was at the end of my vacation. I wish I had met him day two and then learned to just enjoy despite the things I could not control, right? Despite the things I couldn't control, I should just enjoy myself, make the best of it. And you know all these things about if you, life hands you lemons, make lemonade. It is true. It really is true. When things go wrong that you cannot control, make something good out of it. Make a good memory anyway. So I took that lesson and I apply it most of the time. Not all of the time, unfortunately, but most of the time I apply that lesson to things in my life. Sometimes it takes me a few minutes to realize these are things I cannot control. Why am I stuck at, at anger? If I'm stuck at anger, I'm going to be a victim of this situation instead of a... a what do you call it? Like, why can't I think, right? I have this brain fog. Not, not a survivor, not, not a, um, a winner. And I want to be a winner, you guys, right? So if you allow yourself to go through this depression, part of the depression is accepting and realizing that there were things you can't, could not control, that you really are at a bad stage. You may even be at the at rock bottom of your life right now. And you're going to feel this depression like, there's no way. How am I going to get up from here? Um, you do not want to stay there, right? You don't want to stay in this depression where things are so bad. You can grieve. This is a great point. This is a great stage and point for you to grieve when you're in this depression. Allow yourself to cry. That is such a good thing. I think that a lot of people stay in anger because they don't want to be vulnerable they don't want to be vulnerable again. They don't want to be hurt again. They don't want to cry. They don't want to show weakness. But depression will allow you to be weak for a moment, will allow you a period of time to be vulnerable and to cry, to let out your grief, to say that, you know, these are things that you wish you still had, but you no longer have. This is a person that you wish was still in your life, but is no longer in your life. You, If you don't go through depression, you're not going to be able to get to the last stage. And the last stage is true acceptance. I know some people feel like they've gotten to acceptance, but unless you go through depression, you're not going to be able to really accept because you can accept for a moment like, okay, fine, they're out of my life. I don't care. And then you go through another stage of denial, right? Where now you're suppressing your feelings about that person. You start, you're telling yourself, I never care about that person to begin with. You start to tell yourself lies in order to get to the acceptance stage. And that's not going to be a true acceptance. 
the true acceptance is when you're going to be able to rebuild. True acceptance allows you to reconstruct and clean out the garbage that was in your past, the garbage that people in your past have tried to dump into your life. You'll be able to clean that out. And, I, and the, the reason for that is because you'll be able to identify which was garbage and which were blessings, right? You want to keep the blessings and get rid of the garbage. So I'm trying to think of an example where, you know, I've had relationships with uh, narcissists where you want to throw away everything, right? Your instinct is, I'm getting rid of everything because everything was garbage. There's nothing here. It's all bad. And my dad used to tell me, you know, there are no bad bad experiences in life because even uh, negative things that happen to you, you can learn from it. You can take something good from it. And I think if you have that kind of attitude and that kind of vision for yourself, you'll be able to become the winner. You're going to be able to become not just a survivor, but you're going to you're going to boom. You're, you're going to have this incredible life. You're going to be able to turn things around to the point where people are going to say, how in the world did you become this wonderful, awesome person? Life must have been easy for you. You guys, I get told that so many times. It's so annoying because I don't want to tell people my whole history every time I meet somebody. But a lot of times people will think, oh, your life must have been perfect because you're you're so happy. Things are going well for you. You make good choices. You seem to have a level head on your you know on your shoulders. You you're so stable. You know, you you do things and good things happen to you. It's because I make good choices, you guys. I make good choices now. I didn't always make good choices, but I make good choices now. Do I still sometimes make a few bad choices? Yes. Um, do I sometimes get angry? Yes. But I don't stay there. I recuperate. I recover. I get back on my feet. I move quickly. And I let it go, right? I recognize the things I cannot change. And I let those things go. Because what's the point of harping on the things you cannot change? So once you get to acceptance, you're going to be able to begin again. You're going to be able to renew. You're going to be able to start a new and better life. You guys, there's always opportunities. There are always opportunities to start again. There are always, you know, I have a friend recently who got fired from her job because they, this is happening a lot, you guys. Corporate America is not your friend I don't even understand. When I was growing up, I heard about this golden parachute, how companies were loyal to their employees. Employee. Maybe there was a time when people, and, and maybe there still are some jobs out there that you can retire from. And you can draw, an, not unemployment, we call that retirement. You can draw retirement. But a lot of times I find that people who are drawing retirement have to supplement, right? They have to get another job. So what am I trying to say here? So the things that you rely on may not be really existing anymore. So corporate America, they they fired my friend uh, who had been working for them, I think, like 17 years. So before she got to the 20-year mark, and maybe it was even closer than that. It might have been 18 or 19 years she's been working for them. Um, before she got to that 20-year mark where she could retire, they fired her. Under some, you know, whatever thing, excuse they made to make it look legitimate. But really, she's getting older. They don't want to have to pay for her health insurance. They don't want to have to take care of her. 
for the rest of her life. So what does she do? I mean, you would think that at this point, her life is over. She's she's up there in age. I think she's uh, I think she's in her fifties. I was gonna say she might be hitting her hitting sixty soon, if not already. And you might think like, how then is she going to survive? Right? Like, this is a terrible time to start over. But actually, you can start over even at that age. It's okay. And I think she is. She she's you know knocked her off her feet for a moment, and she's still kind of wobbly from that because it kind of it just happened a month ago. But she's a strong person, and she's the kind of person who sees like okay, th things are bad, but what things are in her control still, right? She's she's an innovative person. She's creative, and she's a go getter. So she's gonna move on. She's gonna be able to do it. Now, did her company do her wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely, they did her wrong. They, in fact, had her go to India to train people over there, essentially to do her job. And then they moved her job, right? They gave it to somebody else who was willing to do it for far less money than what she was doing it for. So did they do her wrong? Absolutely, they did. Is she able to change that? She might. She might try to, you know, what she's in control of. She will go and see what she can do. But she also now knows what she else she's in, in control of. She's got other opportunities that she can go for. She's got, uh, even at her age, and it's hard. It's harder, you guys, once you, a friend of mine was telling me, once you turn 50, it's harder out there in the job market uh, to be able to get hired because people are looking at you like you could be a liability, you're going to have health issues, you're not going to... Uh, be able to come in because you're going to be sick or, you know, uh, have a bad back or whatever, you know, things that people go through as they get older. And they don't think you're going to be as reliable. But, by the way, this could be a blessing in disguise because now she can start her own business, which is, I think, the trend. This is the only way you're going to survive nowadays is if you have your own business. And she knows what needs are out there. She knows how to start a business. She knows you know, people in her life, she has, she has people who that she, connections that she can get in touch with at this point. So there are good things that have come about from this. So you guys, there are no, there's, I disagree with my dad in that there are no bad experiences. I believe there are bad experiences, but you do, there's no completely um, useless experience out there, right? You can still learn from this. You can still learn to get stronger. You can still learn like the things that you never thought you'd be able to do, suddenly you're doing. So, or you're forced, you're backed up against a wall and now you have to do this. Oh my gosh, I have another friend who, let me see. Let me share this story with you real quick. So once you get to acceptance, this is why I'm so excited about, if you can get to acceptance, you're going to be fine. You're going to do well. Uh once you accept, but don't be defeated when you get to acceptance, right? You don't want to just say, oh, I accept this and my life is doomed and there's nothing I can do and I'll never have good things in my life again. That's that's just negativity, okay? That's not really acceptance. That's just negativity. You have to go to, through that depression. Maybe through the depression, that's when you say things like that to yourself. Like, this is so horrible. I'm at the, you know, the bottom... I've hit rock bottom. My life's never going to get better. You know, you go through all that woe is me time in the depression. 
then you get out of it and you wake up the next morning, you go outside. Oh, let me share this with you. How do you break that depression? Go outside. Even if it's snowy, go for a walk. Even if it's cold, even if it's rainy, go for a walk. Get outside, right? Enjoy your, yourself. Uh, appreciate the rain. Appreciate the snow. Appreciate, I mean, the wind. I hate the wind at times because if you get a lot of wind. It's annoying. But for a little bit of time, just even enjoy the wind. Enjoy the wind on your face, even if it's a cold wind. Stand outside in that and let it brush over your face and wake you up. Um, I love jumping into freezing cold water. Now, I'm not staying in it, of course, but I love jumping in it because it like is uncomfortable and all that, and it sends a shock to my body. But the moment I get out, it's like, wow, I feel so good. It feels amazing. So when you go through this depression, do that. Let, allow yourself to get you know, as negative as you want it to be. Say all the negative things you want to say, right? But then laugh at it. Then turn things around. Then go outside. Then break the spell. And one of the other things I love to do and I recommend a lot of times is listen to comedians. They help you to break that spell. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yep. Oh, yeah, this is true. Wow, interesting. Yeah, these complexes that narcissists have the inferiority or superiority complex keeps them stuck where they are. So in order for you to have a healthy complex, a healthy life, you have to not get stuck in those complexes, right? To be a victim always or to be always superior to everyone where you look down on everyone. Neither of those is good, right? So I was going to share with you guys a story. So before we leave, and we're almost at the end of the hour, so if you guys want to make any other comments right now, that'd be great, and I'll read them. But my last story I want to share with you is a friend of mine who um, he used to have this really amazing job. He's a musician, right? And he had this awesome job in, uh, in the music business. Uh, he was employed by an organization that needed a musician uh, to play at their events and everything. So this organization had him play regularly. He was hired full time to do events for them man, this guy was set, right? You're like, you can't get better than this. And on the side, he can make his own music. He can, he, he, he can do whatever he wants. So he has this consistent paycheck, solid job. He just has to uh, perform for them during their events. And uh, they loved him. People loved him. He got his own music out there. He got recognition. Uh, things were going great. But then there was a falling out. I don't know exactly what happened because I, you know, it's not my business, so I don't ask. I don't gossip. I don't get into people's, you know, private stuff unless they want me to. So some there was some falling out. I don't know if it's his fault. I don't know if it's the organization's fault. Um, but he got fired. All right, he got fired, and he thought that was it. Like, what the heck? What can I do? You know, he has to start over. So he tried some gigs and he did some things and part-time jobs and he never got the kind of pay or security that he had with that organization. So for a few years, things were looking kind of bleak. He had a mortgage, he had a family to feed, and he's trying to figure out like, how do I, you know, now I'm getting paid half of what I used to get paid. What am I going to do with this? So the bizarre thing is he went into construction. 
particular, I'm not going to get into it. Well, I guess I could, no, I'm not going to say because some people may figure out. But he, he went to this very specific construction where he provides a certain product to, to homeowners, right? And, uh, and at first it was just, you know, struggling. He had a couple of jobs here and there. He hired some people to do like his accounting or whatever. Um, and the business started growing little by little, but it was a lot of work and it was not in music. His true love was music, right? But he needed to get money. He needed to put food on the table. He needed to pay his mortgage. So he, he did this construction shop job and he started his own company, his own company doing this, even though he's a musician, totally out of his, you know, comfort zone. But I guess he must have met somebody who helped him um, by, by showing him some of the ropes. So here's the other thing, relationship. Relationship is so important. Connect with people in your life. See if there's somebody who can give you advice. Meet with people who can give you advice and some guidance. So he opens this business, starts it up. A couple of years go by. It, it's tough, you know, it's a lot of work. And they're not making a lot of money, but they're making some money. So that's good. It's paying the bills. Um, they have to cut back on a lot of things, but that's okay. Well, now, let me see how many years ago is this now? I guess it's been about 10 years now. Now, his business is so booming. He has hired a dozen people, at least a dozen people, might be 20 now. And he is taking his employees to on a cruise in Italy. You guys, this is a guy whose, whose passion is music. Guess what he's doing? He's probably playing music wherever he goes anyway, right? He loves to sing. He loves to play instruments. He, this is what he does and enjoys now. But he's built up a company that allows him to do that. Not only that, allows him to reward other people for their hard work and taking them to Europe on a cruise for crying out loud. <laughs> so, you know, if you stay at anger, if he had stayed at anger and blamed the company that fired him, blamed the organization that fired him, and, you know, thought about all the money he's missing, the opportunity he missed as a, as a musician because now he no longer works for them, and uh, the security that that organization gave him. If he had stayed at anger and pity for himself and how things were taken from him and how, you know, his life is destroyed because he was older at that point when this happened to him. I think he was in his mid-40s. And, you know, if he had stayed there, where would he be now? He would be in the same spot. He'd be probably still trying to make ends meet. He might have been able to get another job that was just as good as that or that job with that organization and still doing the things that he was doing and kind of, you know, getting by but not doing extremely well. Instead, this thing that happened to him knocked him off his feet. He had to start over and he is doing so much better than he had ever dreamed he could. I know so many stories like that. I, there's another person I can tell you about. But you guys, I want to let you know, you go through the stages of grief. What happens to you after narcissistic abuse? After someone ha who ha you know has done you so wrong, completely wrong, as wrong as it can possibly get, but they cannot control your future, right? You are in control of your future. 
There are things you're not in control of. You're not in control of the people who hurt you. You're not in control of what they do at this point from this point on with their life or even in their circles. They can talk trash about you. They can try to hurt you in other ways. But here's the deal. You don't have to look their way. You don't have to pay attention to them. You move on with your life. Had this musician friend of mine focused on the people that fired him, focused on the fact that they abandoned him, that they stabbed him in the back, that they... Uh, today, they are not his friends, right? These people who hurt him, who he worked with for years, for I think at least 10 years, he worked with them for at least 10 years, and who see him, you know, as an outsider to their organization. Had he stayed angry and held on to, um, you know, this grief against them, he would not be where he is today. And I want to give you hope that you too can move forward, but you have to stop looking back. You have to stop blaming other people. You have to allow yourself to cry and go through the, the stages of grief and allow yourself to get to that depression stage. Because if you stay at anger, if you stay there, you're not going to be able to get to depression through depression. And you're not going to be able to get to acceptance and moving on to a beautiful life. Well, you guys, this is what I wanted to share with you. Know that what you're going through so many other people have gone through. Know that you're not alone. Know that if other people can do it, you can do it. I've seen people who are like, there's no way. This person is not that smart. This person is not, you know, it was not the top of their class in school. It was not always innovative. Um, it was kind of just a goof off. Uh, they get their life in order. That's the amazing thing to me is like, no matter where you start off in life, you could end off very well you can end off so much better than you ever dreamed. Well, blessings to you guys. Make sure you watch a commercial once in a while. Uh, I, hope, I hope to see you again next week. Sorry I was running late today, but, you know, uh, life happens. I hope you forgive me for that and come back on. Make sure you make some comments, subscribe, give me a thumbs up. I appreciate all of that. And if you think this was helpful, share it with others, even clips of it with others. I hope that you and I and the world can get to the point where we cling to truth, we help each other stay focused, we don't fall for the lies of the enemy anymore, no more lies from the media, don't get into this matrix, you guys. What's happening right now internationally, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it, but uh, look up other places to get your information. By the way, another place I really love right now is Jimmy Dore, J-I-M-M-Y-D-O-R-E. He has amazing interviews with people who are exposing the lies that are happening in public right now. I, I love what he does. He brings up the clips. He brings up the articles. He brings up the um, screenshots of their Twitter feed or whatever it is that they put out. And, uh, what these politicians have said in the past and what they say now he is calling them out so if you want to if you want to have a good life you have to be based in reality no more living in fantasy world right no more living in this uh made-up narcissistic world that crumbles that's going to destroy you and everything in it so get out of that as fast as you can watch jimmy Dore, j-i-m-m-y-d-o-r-e he is a um, liberal who has woken up. So I want to just share that with you. He is not a conservative, which is bizarre to me that people are calling him 
uh, conservative now, where he's like, uh, he's about as far as you can get, uh, what do you call it, conservatively, right? He, anyway, so um, you guys, blessings. I hope that you will wake up. I hope you will join me again next week. Maybe we'll talk about what's going on in this world because prepare yourself. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know I'm still going, but prepare yourself. Um, the financial cliff. We are well over the financial cliff. So don't let people distract you and the news distract you and the narcissists in this world, the crazy psychopathic leaders that we have in this world right now. Uh, don't let the media, the propaganda distract you. You need to prepare yourself. So start where I just told you to start. Where else can you go? Um, oh, you this guy's been taken off of YouTube, but you can go to his website. He's called uh, is Brighton, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N. Um, so it, he's a little wacky. He, he's kind of like getting out there farther and farther, but he's entertaining. He gives you a lot of good uh, survival tips. Uh, anyway, so blessings again. I will see you next week.